for the reading of the word. My name is Cassandra Knoll, and I'll be reading from Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 14. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I invite you to open up in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, and as always, if you do not have a Bible, there's Bibles in the seats uh, in front of you underneath, and you can always have that Bible as our gift to you if you do not have uh, a Bible. We've been in the book of Ephesians, and uh, we're looking at this longer section here in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, and help us to kind of get an idea of what it is that we're studying and why. I don't know why it, my illustrations have involved cats and dogs a lot recently, but I got to do this just one more time. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a cat in a tree, um, but uh, we have some dear friends here at the church, and we would uh, watch their animals sometimes, and they had some really sweet animals, but they had these cats. And one cat in particular, we'd go and feed it at night, and we'd always find them up in a tree similar to this, to this cat. I don't know if you know this about cats, but it's true that they often have a hard time getting down from trees. Um, they can get down, but they often have a hard time getting down from trees. Have you ever had that experience with a cat? Uh, I even looked up, somebody Googled, you know, how long can a cat live in a tree? Anybody want to know what the answer to this is? This is great. You can Google this. Two weeks. Two weeks a cat can live in a tree before it dies. So, um, so you've got time on your hand <laughs> if your cat is up in a tree. They'll get hungry enough and they'll come down. But the big question that scientists don't have the answer to is why do cats have a hard time getting down from the, a tree? Why do cats struggle with that? Physiologically, there's things with their claws that they, that they talk about, but, but one animal expert, somebody that you maybe have heard of, Temple Grandin. Have you heard of Temple Grandin? She's an autism uh, activist, but she's also an animal expert. She has a, she has a theory that, that some scientists go with. She claims that at some point, mothers teach their cats how to, their kittens, how to get down from trees. And cats that have a hard time coming out of trees are cats that were never taught by their mothers, who were taken from their mothers before they learned how to, to do that. And the reason why a lot of scientists uh, look into this is because they say so much of the animal kingdom, um, they see examples of the parents 
of their offspring, teaching them how to do things. And the animals that have a hard time doing certain things were animals that were removed from their parents. And so they never had the modeling done for them that was necessary. So why do cats get stuck in trees? Some scientists believe, and Temple Grandin talks about, that they, it was never modeled for them how to get out of a tree. They have no problem getting up, but getting down, it was never modeled for, for them. And I've thought about that as it pertains to cats, because when you come to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, it says those very powerful words. Therefore, be imitators of God. Therefore, be imitators of God. Based upon what I've said, now I want you to bear God's image in the world. And we've talked a lot about the fact that it makes sense that we'd be called to imitate God because we have been made in his image to, to glorify him. But it begs the question, how do we do that? What does that actually look like for us to be imitators of God? And the truth is it doesn't come natural to us because of, of sin and living in a sinful world. We need help knowing what it looks like to, to live as image bearers of God. And in Ephesians chapter 5 is this text where God's word comes and he lays out for us what it looks like. He, he models for us what it means to walk as image bearers of God. Now, here's the beautiful thing. I don't want to go any further in my message this morning without restating the most precious thing in all of Ephesians 5. And that is this. Therefore, be imitators of God as what? Beloved children. That our ability to imitate God, the reason why we imitate God, is not so that God would love us, not so that we would transform ourselves so that God would accept us, but it's because through Jesus Christ, that's what all of Ephesians has been about up to this point, is that you have been transformed through the precious work of Jesus Christ, by the work of God the Father, and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we have become who we were made to be. Amen for that? This is at the core of your Christian faith, to know that Jesus Christ has begun the transformative work in you here and now. And so now, what God's Word does when it gives us its commands and its instructions is God coming and saying, with the power of the Spirit in you, with the new life I've given you, I want to now show you what that looks like. And so thus far in the text, we've seen two things. The very first one was in verse 2, where it says, therefore, walk in love. That's the first thing we've looked at. To be an image bearer of God means that we walk in love. Now, I'm not going to go back into that, but that's the first thing. Seeking and acting for the good of others, even at great cost to ourselves. We walk in love. And then, as we saw last week, verse 8 tells us these words. It says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. First, we're called to walk in love. Verse 8 says that we are to walk in light. And really, verses 3 through 14 are God coming and speaking to us through his word and saying, here's what it looks like to walk in light. When it's all said and done, there's about four things that it means to walk in light. The last week we learned that it means that we refrain from those behaviors, those thoughts, and those speech that go contrary to God's design. To walk in light, to walk as children of light, means that we recognize that there's a way of living in the world that is inconsistent with the holiness and righteousness of God. And so he says, he says let no sexual immorality or impurity or covetousness be named among you. All of those things that I just mentioned, sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness, are all things that go against God's design. 
And so as those who walk in light, we refrain from anything that goes contrary to the way that God has designed us to live. And then as you drop down in the text, you discover that there is a, there's a positive side to this, that whereas we don't speak in ways that go against God's design, we're called to ultimately give thanks for God's design. It's really the antidote, if you will, um, for idolatry is giving thanks, recognizing, God, your design is good. It's not just that we refrain from the things that go against your design, but we give thanks to you for how great and wonderful your design is. It can't, it can't be perfected any more than what you've already done. So to walk in light, we refrain, we give thanks, and then today we pick up in verse 6, and we discover the next of the two things that Paul helps us to see of what it means to walk in light. So, so as we look to walk in light, we need to refrain, but also we need to be on the alert. Look at verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. As we look, church, to refrain from those things that go against God's design, when we know what his design is and we try and refrain from those things that go against it, listen to what Paul is saying. There will be those, there will be those in the world who try and use words and even the scriptures to lead us astray, to deceive us into thinking that what God says goes against his design actually isn't. There are those who will come and say, did God really say? There will be those who come and say, no, 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 up is actually down. Down is, is actually up. And notice at the end of verse 6, how the people who do this are called the sons of what? Disobedience disobedience are the sons of disobedience that means that what they're trying to deceive you with is direct contradiction to what god's word actually says is true they'll question church god's design they'll question and try and deceive and lead us astray into accepting that which is counterfeit it's really interesting to me we saw this when we studied the book of first timothy a little while ago Timothy was the man whom Paul had left in Ephesus to shepherd and pastor that church. And when he wrote Timothy, his letters specifically to Timothy on how to help the church in Ephesus, listen to what he said in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of what? Demons. Paul writing Timothy, Paul writing the pastor of this church in Ephesus says, Timothy, I want you to be on the lookout because there are people who are going to fall away from the faith. That means that they will be a part of the church or proclaim to have been Christians, but then they'll be led astray. And what are they going to try and do? They're going to try and lead others astray. Later on in 1 Timothy, this was such a big deal that he says in 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up, he's conceited, and understands nothing. What's he saying? There will be those, even who proclaim to follow Christ, who will teach a doctrine 
that goes contrary to God's design. And so what does it mean to walk in light according to these verses, church? It means guard yourself against false teaching. Guard yourself against false teaching. To walk in light means that will just be a refrain from certain behaviors. It's not just about us giving thanks, but it's about the fact that we need to be alert and, and that we need to guard ourselves against those who would proclaim something as truth that God says is a lie. Now, I always love reading the scriptures as though they were actually real because they are. Here's what I mean by that. These aren't just words, church. If God's word is coming to you and saying there will be those who will try to deceive you and they are the sons of disobedience, it's a real danger. It's a real danger. Like this isn't put into the word of God unless God actually believes for you and for me, this could be something that we will encounter. I remember hearing a comedian one time, he's about the same age as as I am, and he was talking about those things that when he was growing up, he thought were going to be a much bigger deal, that things that he should look out for that would be a much bigger deal than they were. And one of the big things he says was quicksand. And he said, growing up, I thought quicksand was going to be a real danger as I grew up and something to watch out for. Now as an adult, I realize quicksand isn't that big of a deal. Okay? When God's word comes and says, be on guard against false teachers, it's a real big deal. It's something to really be aware of and guarding yourself against. It's not a false danger. It's a real and present danger throughout every generation. So what does it look like today? What are some of those things that we hear from the world and even hear from those who proclaim to be Christians that we need to be aware of? What are some of these false teachings? Well, as we saw last week with sexual immorality, I think the biggest thing that has seeped into the church is that for the sake of love, people only taking the first part of of like Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, where it says, walk in love. And they say, love, love is, the, is the overarching ethic of the Christian life. And love covers a multitude of sins, which is true. But what they mean by that is, because love covers a multitude of sins, then that means you don't have to care about or worry about those who are doing things that go against God's word. So love is love is love. And so homosexuality. You have churches today that are saying we need to accept that because God is love. And if two people love each other, what's that big of a deal? The number of Christians, going again back to sexual immorality, who even as Christians are are living together as Christians and engaging in relationship with one another that was only meant for the context of marriage. Like we have become over time desensitized to these things and you will find churches that will ultimately support these kinds of lifestyles. Greed is something that the church is often not speaking against, really calling people on the carpet saying, you are living vastly more for your job and for success than you are living in obedience to, to Christ. You're sacrificing your familial duties as a father, as a mother, because you're trying to make more money to accumulate more wealth for your, yourself. And you will find churches and you will find people that say, no, 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 you're doing the right thing here, even though it goes against what God's word says. It says here, See, verse 7 makes clear that we are absolutely to avoid these people. Look at verse 7 again. Therefore, do not become partners, what? With them. 
You are to have nothing to do with those people who contradict what the Word of God says. And so how do we guard ourselves against being deceived? Well, you should just be absolutely passive. Do you think that's the answer? No, no, look at verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to who? The Lord. Does that sound like passivity or activity? It's activity. And so we have a responsibility. How do we do this? How do we guard ourselves against false teaching? The answer is very simple. Study and know the word of God. The only way to contradict that which is deceitful teaching is to know that which is ultimately true. And the only way that we know what is right and good and true is found here in this word. I love what Paul says there in verse 9. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Man, if we want to know what is good and right and true, we have to look no further than God's word because it's here in his word that we see what is right and good and true. And church, where do we find the will of God? How do I know what God's will is? What do I know what is pleasing to him? Isn't it wonderful? You don't have to guess at it. God, what do you want? What, what is right and true? What, what is in accordance with your design? It's here in his word. I love what the psalmist says. In Psalm 119, there are so many verses here in Psalm 119. I'm just going to pick these three. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. How can a young man or woman, okay, it's not just, just this is, the word is only for young men. No, no. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to what? Your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not, what? Sin against you. Oh, how can I not be led astray? How can we not be deceived by the world? It is found in studying and in knowing the word of God. And guess what? It doesn't mean that you have to go to seminary to do that. You should go to my class. No, I'm kidding. You can, you can study the word on your own. And I love how Paul encountered a group of people. In Acts chapter 17, he encountered this group of people as he was teaching. And they're known as the Breans. I want to just read you their story really quickly here. In Acts 17, he gives us an example of people that went to the word of God. It says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. That's a city in Asia Minor. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, the Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were what? So, what I love about the Bereans is, is you got this group of people who when Paul came to them and started teaching these things about Jesus Christ, they said, all right, let's compare it to what? The word. Let's know if what he says is in the word. And at that point, all they had was the Old Testament. We now have the fullness of God's word. And so we study and know God's word and it guards us against false teaching. And so we we'll pause here and I would just ask us as a church family, if this is what God's will is for you, as those who would walk in the light is to guard yourself against false teachers. And in order to do that, you have to know the word and have to study the word. Are you 
educating yourself in the truth of God's word. For you, is your understanding of the word of God only being fed through coming for one hour on a Sunday morning? Or do you see that you have this word not just on Sunday morning, but even for most of us, if we have cell phones, it can literally be with us 24-7 playing in our ears that we have God's word. Are you educating yourself in the truth of God's word? Have you been educated in the truth of God's words? I find this all throughout the book of Ephesians. If your new life has been transformed by Jesus, then we don't embrace passivity. We embrace being those who want to continue to grow and nourish ourselves, which is why as a church, we believe that being and making disciples means that we grow in our knowledge and application of the word of God. And so study, come to know the word, surround yourselves with those that would help you to, to know it. And then seek out the wisdom of others because here's the thing. Let me just give a little warning. I had this in my notes. I didn't know if I'd say it, but I'm going to. What I've found too in this digital age is you can find people who will basically agree with you on anything. <laughs> so what I mean is this, test all things against the word of God. And just because you find one person or one teacher online who's espousing certain doctrines, you want to take in the totality of Christ and his church. And if somebody says, oh yeah, but I've got something new here. You want to say, all right, the book of Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> and so I want to know and study the word of God, and I want the input of God's people in that. So we guard ourselves against false teaching, but now, but now there's one more thing in this passage that it highlights for us about what it means to walk in light. And this, to me, I think is the most surprising, maybe, maybe the most shocking even if you will and the one that's probably going to be the most uncomfortable for all of us depending upon your personality as you'll see in a minute look at verse 11 take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness what's happening here paul is restating what he's already said earlier back in verses 3 and 4 and 5 he's saying Refrain from any behavior, thought, or speech that's outside of God's design, that's back how you used to live. But notice how Paul adds to this by saying that these things are what? What kind of works are they? Unfruitful. Unfruitful. Um, I love that he uses that word. Unfruitful. Unbeneficial. Something that if you engage in it, there's absolutely no benefit to you, but is actually also detrimental to you. Are you tracking with me on that? So it's not just that it's not beneficial, it's actually detrimental to you. Like eating a double quarter pounder after working out, right? It's not just, it's not just unfruitful, unbeneficial, it's, it's like detrimental to, to your health. Can you think of things in life that you've engaged in that you would say, wow, that wasn't just not beneficial for me. It was actually detrimental to me. Paul says, I want you to think about all those things that go against God's design as not just being not beneficial, but actually detrimental to, to you. So he says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. He's restating what he said previously. 
Now, not only in this verse do we find a restatement of what he has said before, but he then takes it further. This is the really remarkable part. Walking in light means that we refrain from works of darkness, but it also means something else. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So now he's saying, don't just simply refrain from this. And by the way, this is a command. This is an imperative. This isn't a suggestion. He's saying you need to refrain from doing those things that go against God's design, but you also have a responsibility to expose the darkness, those things done in the darkness. The Greek word here has with it this idea throughout the New Testament, whenever this word is used, to expose someone's sin and summon them to repentance and in addition to that, it's not just to expose someone's sin so they might come to repentance. It's also to bring what is against God's design to light in order that others would turn from their own sin. So as you see the works of darkness and you bring them into light in someone's life, it's not just for their sake, but it's so that others would see what's happening and that they themselves would not keep in their own sin, but say, well, if that's sin, if, if that's darkness, I want to turn from that as well. And so it has this dual impact. And Paul is saying, God's word is saying to us, the Christian is not just somebody who knows God's design, who refrains from behavior that goes against God's design, but it's someone who ultimately makes known sin for what it is. To walk in light means that we expose sin so that those engaged in it and others might be brought into the light. Church, this is a real serious thing for us and throughout the ages. To be a follower of Jesus, to be a new creation, to be someone who has been delivered from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son. We're not just people who come and say, well, I'm going to take care of myself and make sure that I don't do these things but not my sin, not my problem. That is not who we are. That's not who we can be. If we are walking in light, we can't be a people who look at the brokenness of the world to see the destructive patterns and behaviors in others and say, that, you know what, that's their issue. That's their issue. In fact, look at the rest of the passage, starting in verse 12. While he tells us that we're supposed to expose these things, verse 12 says, For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Even though it's shameful to speak of them, he doesn't mean that we don't bring them to light. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Verses 13 and 14 make clear that if the light is not shown on the works of darkness, church, they remain hidden. People will not know what sin is and that it's harmful to them unless it is brought into the light. And do you see the reason why we actually seek to expose it and to call it for what it is? I love what verse 14 says, that the sleeper might, what? Awake. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God, through Christ, made you alive. We 
expose the works of darkness. We call out those things that are against God's design. Why? Why do we do this? It's so that those who are dead in their trespasses and sins, those who do not know of their disobedience and that they are under God's wrath, might, like us, experience forgiveness and grace and mercy and go from death into newness of life. And listen to me. We are God's plan A. There is no plan B for this. We are the ones who are called to walk in the light as he is in the light. We are the ones who are called to make known what is broken and sinful in this world so that the sleeper might awake. Church, here's where I want you to, to write and make this point down. It's actually the last point in your notes. So I'm going out of order here just for a moment. So, so the very last point in your notes is this. Living in light can be redemptive for others. That's the point here. If you live in the light, if you refrain from, if you give thanks for, if you guard yourself against false teaching, and if you expose what sin is, it can have a redemptive impact on the lives of others. You can save and bring those who are in death and bring them to life. Now, to do this, to walk in the world as light in this way, to call sin for what it is, to make people aware of the fact that they're walking in disobedience, it can be extremely uncomfortable. There is an inherent risk as you seek to expose the darkness. But I want to tell you this morning, it's worth it. There was a man by the name of Bob Eden. And for 51 years, he was blind. 51 years of his life, he was blind. When he was born and for most of his life, the surgery necessary to, re to restore his eyesight wasn't available to him until one day it was. And he went through with a highly risky surgery. And the end result of that surgery was that Bob Eden was restored his sight. Now here's what you need to know about what was necessary for Bob Eden to restore his sight. They had to cut into his eyeball with a knife. They had to slice open a part of his body. Now think about that. If I told you that I'm going to slice open your eyeball, but the end result of that would your ability to see. If you knew that you could see, but go through that temporary, that momentary pain, you'd recognize in the end it'd be worth it. But if I just told you I'm going to slice open your eyeball and there's no purpose in me doing it, you'd say, I'm never going to do that. That's foolishness. But Bob Eden understood that he was blind. And so he went through with the procedure that was necessary for him. And I love what he said when he was done. He said, <laughs> I love this, I never would have dreamed that yellow is so yellow. I don't have the words, I'm amazed by yellow, but red is my favorite color. 
I just can't believe red. I can see the shape of the moon, and I like nothing better than seeing a jet plane flying across the sky, leaving a vapor trail. And of course, sunrises and sunsets, and at night, I look at the stars and the sky and the flashing light. You can never know how wonderful everything is. Because he was brought from darkness into what? Light. But to get there, get there required somebody doing something. Church, living in the light and exposing the works of darkness in somebody's life can seem, it can seem like going to somebody and saying, I'm going to cut your eyeball open. But we know that it's what's necessary for them to see how wonderful everything truly is. And so will we do this? Even how do we do this? How do we expose the darkness? Three things. Number one, we live according to God's design. How can we expose the darkness? Not only do we know it because of God's word, but we're empowered to actually live it. And not only are we empowered to live God's design, but we know how through God's forgiveness we are able to get back on track when we fail. We know what God's design is. We're empowered to live it. And when we fail to live it out, we have the forgiveness of Jesus Christ to get us back on track. It's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in in heaven. We are as a people to be distinct in our lives because we follow a holy and righteous God. We know his design. We know his commandments. We know his ways. We know that they are good. And one of the ways that we expose the darkness is by offering the contrast of our very lives. And so if the world is going to see the light, then they're going to see it in and through us in how we live. And now at times, when we look to follow the Lord, it's going to seem old-fashioned. Not only might it seem old-fashioned, it might seem to actually contradict the, the prevailing thought of that age. But we say, this is the way of the light. It's not my way. I didn't come up with this. The one who made heaven and earth, the one who designed your life and my life, he is the one who has laid out his design, and I'm going to submit myself to his design. How do you expose the darkness? You live out God's design in your marriages, in your relationships, in your workplaces. In fact, in a few weeks when we get back, we're going to go into this extended section in the month of June and, and probably into July, where in the book of Ephesians church, we're going to look at what it means to bear God's image in the home. What a family looks like, what a husband and wife relationship looks like, what a, what a parent and child relationship looks like. And one of the most powerful ways we get to live out God's design is in our, our homes. And so we live out God's design, but we also proclaim God's design in the world. It's not just that we live it out. You know, we talk about this. There's that famous phrase, you know, uh, share the gospel and use words if necessary. We, we, we need to show it in our lives, but more importantly, we need to proclaim it. We need to be a people who say, here is what the word of God says. This is what it looks like to walk in light. That well, There's not sexual morality and impurity or covetousness. That these things are what God says is, is his way, which is right and good. That you have no other gods before him. We need to be a people who proclaim what is true and what is right and what is good. We live it out. We use our words. But then this is the point that I think can be the most difficult to do, the most dangerous as well, which is we have to call out what, it not, we have to call out what is not God's design. 
we have to call it out. As we look to live out and to proclaim to one another and to the world what God's design is, when we see evil, when we see sin, when we see someone living outside of God's design, to expose the darkness means we have to call it out. How comfortable does that make you feel? <laughs> Being going out into the world and those around you calling out people's sin. And, and now, listen to me, I'm going to put some, some boundaries around this, okay, in just a minute. <laughs> but let me be very, very clear. Would you tell a friend that's living with a person who's not their spouse, you know what, this is not God's best for you, this isn't God's design. Living with someone who's not your spouse, like, that's not how God's designed the world. It's actually for those reasons that Jesus Christ had to come into the world to deliver us from living for our desires rather than for him. How comfortable would we be going to a friend who's saying, you know what, I'm, I'm struggling with homosexual desires and, and this, is, this is what I believe God has made me and love is love and I need to love who I, was, who I desire to love and, and, and I have to do that. And would you come to that person and you say, you need to know, not me, I mean, who am I to tell you what's right or wrong? God's word says to continue in that lifestyle. It goes against his design. In fact, it's hard for me to say this, but it says that God's judgment comes into the world because of disobedience like this. How many of us would feel comfortable going to a friend who gets drunk on the weekends and saying, you know what, getting wasted every single weekend, not being able to drive yourself Self home, even blacking out like you are, you're in a pattern of life and of behavior that's destructive to you, and the end of these things is death. God's word comes and says, You and I are those who He has in the world as salt and then as light, that preservative that, that calls sin out for what it, it is. I think the vast majority of Christians today are we need to remain silent on these topics. We need to remain silent on these things. We need to show them love before we ever speak to them. And, and I'm going to talk about love in just a moment, but I need us to understand God has called you to call out sin in his world. And it's not just this guy up here, and it's not just the elders, and it's not just the leaders in the church. We are called to walk as children of light. And it says, his words, not mine. Look at the text again. Take no part in the fruitful works of darkness, but instead what? Expose them. You and I, if we don't speak up, if we don't proclaim what God's word says on these things, we are his plan A, there is no plan B. But this command and this calling is framed in God's word in a very specific way. And what I mean by that is before he ever calls us to go and expose the works of darkness, he begins this chapter by saying, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in what? Love. There is a way to expose the darkness, and it can't be absent of love. 
These things, walking in the light, living God's design, proclaiming God's design, and calling out what is not God's design, these must be done in love. These must be done in the fruit of the Spirit. These must be done, as Paul already said in Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. Look at what Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says. Let's just go back there for a minute. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And what does it look like to walk worthy? He says, with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in what? Love. And so, if you are coming and calling out people's sin, wagging your finger at them, yelling at them for what they are doing, getting angry because of what they are doing to their face, you're not doing it in love. There is a way to call out a person's sin, and there's a way not to. And the way to do it, according to the text, is with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in what? Love. It does not excuse you from saying the hard things, but to come in gentleness and humility is the way in which God has called us to do this. And again, the reason why we do this is, look back at the text. Look at the result of this. Those who are walking in disobedience to God, those who are living outside of his design, church, they are dead in their trespasses and sins and will experience an eternity of judgment in hell. And so is my momentary discomfort in pointing out their sin worth not exposing them to the thing that can arise the sleeper so that Christ can shine on them? What would it be for somebody like me to go to a man like Bob Eden and say, I know what is necessary to give you sight, but to get there, mm, it's going to be painful for you, so I'm not even going to mention what to do. How cruel would that be? In the same way, may God by his grace and his power help us to overcome any fears that we might have to expose the darkness and some of you might be saying, I'm afraid to expose the darkness because I've got darkness in my own life that I need to deal with. And so let me close with some questions. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, a message like this, one of the things that it should pose to you is this. Am I walking in darkness in any way? Is there a part of my life that one of the reasons I don't want to expose the darkness is because I'm afraid of the darkness that will be exposed in my own heart and mind? To which I say, Awake, O sleeper, so that Christ will shine on you. If there is sin in your life that you have not brought into the light, today, let today in this message be the day that whatever hidden sin you have been, been keeping and, and suppressing, why would you keep it down? Why would you suppress it? Bring it into the light to know the forgiveness of Jesus, the of the saints. There are people today, I know even in this room, you who are still living in bondage because... 
and who are afraid to even, and even live out your new life in Christ is because there are things that you haven't brought into the light. And I come to you today and I say, don't be afraid because the hope of the scriptures is there for you, which says Christ shines upon those who bring their sin into the light. There's only forgiveness and grace and mercy to be found. Oh, I want you to live in that church if that's you today. And for others of you, maybe, maybe all of this, this walking the light, being imitators of God, you realize I've never truly given myself over to Christ. I've never really come to him as the savior to make all things new in my life. My plea with you is that today would be the day that you would hear the message and say, I'm not going to let my desires and my sins define me anymore, but I'm gonna let Jesus Christ define me through his precious blood and forgiveness. And for any one of us who maybe today aren't struggling with these things, but instead maybe God has placed you in someone else's life, my prayer for you today, my prayer for myself, is that we would embrace the new life that we have so that we would walk in the light and be those tools, be those instruments to help bring about the redemption, to help bring about the restoration of those who are still in darkness. And that any fears that we have would be overcome with the truth that Christ has shown in us and we alone have the words that can bring eternal life. May the Lord help us in that, amen? Let's pray together. Lord, it is of your mercy and grace today that we can call upon you and we can call upon you because, Lord, you have revealed our sin to us. You have shown us the solution for our sin in and through Jesus Christ and by your spirit have empowered us through grace, by faith, to believe and to accept this gift of Jesus Christ in our life. Lord, we call upon you today as Father because you have awoken us who are once sleepers. And today, Lord, if there is anyone who is in the darkness, Lord, who does not have the eyes to see, who cannot say everything is so wonderful because of Jesus, Lord, today I pray that they would no longer walk in darkness, but that they would come into their marvelous light by seeing their sin for what it is, by calling it out to you, and then, Lord, falling upon the grace and mercy that's found in Jesus Christ, and whose blessed and wonderful name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen.